Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon. The scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin named, engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, And will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be holy He will be called Son of God. And now, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month of her of whom it was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a moment now for silent reflection. Let us pray together. Gracious God, we pray now. In this very moment, perhaps the most silent and still we've been all week a moment where the seemingly 10-second news cycle just swirls around us and bombards us with news and stories and ads and images, a season that encourages us to ramp things up and do more, buy more, want more. We fill our lives with so many things, and yet we're still hungry, we're still thirsty, we're exhausted. However we come to this moment, help us to see that each of us has more in common with one another than we realize. On one hand, each of us is beautiful and created in your image and likeness, bearing the dignity of the God who created us. And none of us has it all together. Each of us is a beautiful mess. Help us to trust that you see us in all of our complexity and contradiction, and you love us. Your response is to give yourself to us in the person and work of your Son, Jesus Christ. And so teach us now by the power of your Holy Spirit in a way that our lives would be transformed and this world would be renewed. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, friends, the day after Thanksgiving, I woke up early. I just, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't sleep any longer. The sun was out, it was coming through the curtains, and I woke up 
And I got my son Levi and said, hey, it's the day after Thanksgiving. Do you know what would make mom so happy? If we got down all the Christmas decorations. And so I lifted Levi up into the attic, and he strongly and dutifully passed me all the bins. And let me tell you, we had, I think our Christmas lights multiplied over the past year. We ended up with two bins of Christmas lights, which you kind of want to use no, you know, no strand unused. And so I proceeded to spend the next 48 hours on and off just covering our house with lights, with Florence, and we'd step back and look and go, no, it needs, you know, it needs a tree coming from the top window down with lights like the SeaWorld Tower has. You know, oh, the two blow-ups that we have, the, the, the uh, Christmas tree and the little penguin, that's not enough. It needs a nutcracker and a Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer as well. And so now our, our whole front yard can be seen from space. Apparently, the, the Christmas spirit was kind of contagious on our street because two neighbors a ways down actually got up in the palm trees on their respective side of the street and put a metal cable across with Christmas lights now. And the great, ironic, beautiful part of that is one neighbor has what I will just call a shrine to one of the presidential candidates on his front yard. And the other neighbor could equally you know, express the exact opposite viewpoint. And it was the Christmas spirit that united and joined these two households together. So I was talking to my other neighbor, Mike, yesterday. I said, it seems to me like everyone's getting more into the Christmas spirit deeper and earlier than I can ever remember. And he agreed. I don't know if that's your experience. I see a lot of heads nodding yes. I said, what do you th- why do you think that is? And he said, well, maybe it's because everyone's slowing down. We have, lo- we have less to do, and so we're actually slowing down and sinking into the very present moment that we have. And I offered, maybe it's because people really want hope, and this season brings hope. And possibly this season also brings a sense of connection to a bigger story that we actually are, not only as is cliche now to say we're all in this together, but actually we belong to one another and we're all part of the same story. I think the answer is probably D, all of the above. The season has begun. Now the question is, what is Christmas really about? And the wisdom of the church over centuries gives us four weeks to ask that question. Not just one day on December 25th, but actually four Sundays before Christmas called Advent, where we remember the coming of Christ, where we contemplate it and ponder it and work it deep into the dough of our souls so that it can actually rise and become something beautiful and nourishing. Advent means coming. It's, on one hand, it's a time for us to look back. To remember that God became man. As one theologian said, God became one of us so that we might become one with God. And it's a time to look forward in that great arc of the story of God's love. That Christ was born, lived, was crucified, died, ascended into heaven, and one day he will thread the loop and return to set all things right to make all things new, to wipe every tear from every eye as we remember at this meal every Sunday. And so Advent is a time to look back and remember the coming of Christ, and it's a time to look forward and anticipate him coming again. Now, I realize for some of you, you lo- I lost you at the virgin birth, right? Some of you are going, oh my gosh, this is the story where, you know, we, we hear about Mary and she was with child and she was a virgin you know, this is exact proof that science and faith are incompatible. Please, this is the stuff of mythology and Bronze Age philosophy. How am I supposed to believe a thing like this? And let me just say to you, first of all, I hear you, okay? I'm with you on that. At the same time, I would submit to you 
that all scholars who study this passage agree that there was no story like this in Jesus' day. And many of them would say, this is the kind of stuff you would not include in your story if you wanted to have a lot of people believe it, unless it actually happened. If you wanted to make up a story, if you wanted to invent a religion, it would not look like this. And still, I would also uh, share with you a quote from Madeline Lengel, the uh, theologian and author who wrote, The virgin birth is far less mind-boggling than the power of all creation, stooping so low as to become one with us. See, the real issue is not talking about the virgin's womb. It's talking about the virgin's faith. Look at Mary's statement in verse 38. Here I am, a servant of the Lord, Let it be with me according to your word. A picture of faith, an illustration of trust. The question is, how do you get to a place like that where you can say, God is good, God is for me, God is with me. God, you can do anything you want with my life. Here I am, a servant of the Lord. Do as you want with me. How can you do that? Here's what I'd submit. If the Christmas story is true, if the Christian worldview is true, That God created the world, loves the world, enters into the story himself to save and restore and redeem and rescue. Then the most rational thing for you and me to do is to get as deep into that story as possible. To give ourselves completely to him. In other words, you will never entrust your life to God until you can see how good God is to you, how much God loves you, and to what depth and degree God would go to rescue you. But once you see that, why would you wait another second? So how do you become that kind of person? Let's break it down into understanding the king of grace, the king of glory, and a king that commends a response. First, he's a king of grace. The angel comes on behalf of God and says, Hello, Mary. Um, Verse 28, and he came to her and said, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. A three-part salutation, greetings, and then the title, favored one, and then the reason. See, greetings, favored one, not because you have done such a good job at organizing your life. It's not greetings, favored one, because you are the best-looking person in your class. It's not greetings, favored one, because you finally worked your way up the corporate ladder and got that promotion. Greetings, favored one, and then the reason. Because the Lord is with you. You are favored simply because the God of all creation knows your name and calls you his own. See, this causes her to redefine her identity, her circumstances, and her purpose. And it will do the same for you and me. See, it redefines, God's grace redefines Mary's identity. See, she's a young girl in a patriarchal society where power exists with the older men. She is from Nazareth, which is out in the boonies, not the place of cultural sophistication or commerce or wealth or education or industry. She's from Nowheresville. She is a powerless girl from a powerless place. And because God's presence is with her, she can call herself favored one. From the beginning, Mary is getting a full taste of the gospel she will carry into this world. But during this Advent season, 
It asks you and me, where do you find favor? When you think about your life, what are the details that help you feel like you matter? What are the ways you convince yourself that you belong? Or maybe you're having a hard time convincing yourself of that at all. See, even some of the best things in life, the best relationships, the best friendships, the best marriages, as good and wonderful as they are, at some point, someone's going to let the other down, right? Love does not mean never having to say you're sorry. Love means knowing how to say sorry quickly and mean it. The best things in life cannot always be there for us. Maybe they were meant to suggest the real thing, that you were built and designed to be fully known and fully loved. Unmerited favor. What would be different if you heard that voice? The loudest voice in your life was God saying, greetings, I favor you because I call you my own. I know what those other people said about you, but don't worry, the loudest voice in your life is mine. And it says, I've created you and I loved you. Oh, I know that your life is two steps forward and one step back and you've got a long ways to go. But the loudest voice says, I'm with you and I'll be with you on the entire journey. And I'm making you new even now. Greetings, favored one, because I'm with you. You see, that's the story of Christmas. God telling the world, greetings, favored one, because I'm with you. It redefines your identity altogether. It also redefines your circumstances. Because Mary was not only a young, poor girl from Nowheresville, she's also about to become a single mother. She's about to face a serious trial in a land and a culture in which that was deep taboo, in which there's going to be questions swirling about her when she walks down the street. Questions swirling about her that will make people cross the street to be away from her. Questions that could alienate her from her family. And very much we see that it's tempting to alienate her from her fiancé, Joseph. She is about to be a person who's going to feel very alone in this world. And she needs to hear, the Lord is with you. See, throughout Scripture, this is one of the messages that God gives most often to his people. All the way back in the Old Testament, when Joshua is about to go on this great quest, God says, be bold and courageous. Do not fear, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Jesus, when he's risen from the dead, and he, and he meets his followers who were astonished and bewildered, he meets them and says, all power and authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, and I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Later, when the Apostle Paul will write to an early urban church in Rome, he says God will work all things together for good for those who stay connected to God. So the question is, how do you interpret crisis in your life? How do you deal with disappointment? The year 2020 has given us a crash course, and it's a great lens and laboratory to see how do you deal with disappointment. Do you have a worldview that can support you in the face of despair. Advent reminds us that you can deal with any disappointment, that you can face any despair. You don't need to minimize it, and you don't need to medicate it. You can actually face it, because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Some of you, that's how you're going to make it through this holiday season. 
you're going to see that it's possible for the love of God to outshine the problems you face. And when you develop spiritual amnesia and you forget, we come back together every Sunday to remind each other. We come together on Wednesday on Zoom in our community group and our prayer gathering to remind each other. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. It redefines her identity, it redefines her circumstances, and it redefines her purpose. Because do you notice what happens here? The angel comes, speaks to Mary in the midst of her despairing circumstances, speaks blessing and favor, says that God dwells with her, and the response, the result, the result is not merely she goes on to live her best life. The response is not merely she goes on to have her own personal wonderful experience. The result is the whole world is blessed. This child to be born to Mary will be called Jesus, whose name translates to God saves. God is salvation. And his kingdom will have no end. And the result is not just Mary has a great life, but God will rescue the world. In other words, this echoes the early promise that God made to Abraham. I will bless you, and through you, all the nations will be blessed. This becomes the pattern for the Christian life. To receive that favor, to cherish it, to let it fuel you and drive you, and then to exponentially share it with the world around you. It's one thing to love the world in general. It's quite another thing to love the person that lives next to you or love the person that lives with you or to love yourself. And so you work this through your mind. You work this through your heart. You work this through your soul until it comes out in your actions. Greetings, favored one. You know, that at its core is the story of Santa Claus. We share with our kids that however you experience Santa Claus in your life, in your family's life, it goes back to a man who they call Saint Nick, Nicholas of Smyrna in present-day Turkey, who was a generous follower of Jesus, and because he was identified with Jesus who blessed him to bless others, he would give gifts to underprivileged children. Who does that sound like? Someone who understands greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you and then lives it out, seeing that God had given him so much and then giving to others. What does that look like in your life this, this Christmas? Maybe you'll get creative with that, especially in a COVID, pandemic, politically charged, socially distanced type of holiday season. What does it look like to let that sort of renewing love radiate out of you? Because he's a king of grace. He's also, though, a king of glory. But his kingdom's upside down. See, that name, Jesus, that, what a title. And, and they shall call him Jesus, which means God saves. Now, this actually came into comic relief for me yesterday. I was at the market just down the road buying some final details, groceries for our Know Your Neighbor gathering here. And the line for the checkout counter was so long. And someone came over the speaker and said, can I have Jesus please come to number five? And you know, immediately this man named Jesus who works there comes to it and the man behind me wearing this long line goes oh thank you Jesus <laughs> he knew something about Jesus saves but this Jesus who's coming is not just going to make your line shorter at the grocery store the titles that are given to him here in verse 32 and 33 he will sit on the throne of David he will oversee the house of Jacob the throne of David was the greatest king the house of Jacob was the beginning of the entire people of Israel Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then the 12 tribes. And he's saying all of this story, 
All of the longing and waiting for a king who would actually be just and right and true and use his power, not for himself, but actually to lift others up. Not to conquer and coerce by military might, but to actually woo and draw you to him because of the way he sacrificially gives himself for you. And that's the kind of king who's on the move. And here's the clue. All that power, all that might, the house of Jacob, the throne of David, all of that. And how does that king enter the story? Not in a palace, but in a manger. Not coming in a grand limousine um, motorcade, but comes as a baby, a vulnerable, helpless child. This is great insight into God's love. One of the things you will notice when you read the great poetry of love, when you see the great movies or the great plays or theater, opera, when you read the great stories of love, or when you experience great love, you know that great love always requires vulnerability. This is why Brene Brown has been, you know, just gone viral ever since her TED Talk on vulnerability, because we crave it and we're terrified of it. But to love anyone means to actually open yourself up to be able to be hurt, to be vulnerable, to be exposed. You know, one of, the, uh, one of my favorite things of my calling as a pastor is I get to officiate weddings. So I've heard vows done in multiple different ways. I've seen wedding services done and with many different themes. Um, one of the things I love is this one wedding I remember where the bride and groom had written letters to each other. And the letters were simply an expression of, I will fully open my life to you and give you all access. I am binding my heart to yours. To do that is to be vulnerable. And here we see on Christmas that that is how God loves us. That God loves us not just from afar, but up close. And not just from above, but from below. And God opens God's heart to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ, where his grand entrance is to say, I completely open my life to you in vulnerability. When we say that God gives himself to us in Christ, that's not just a frothy language. God has actually revealed himself and redeemed us in a way that he allows his own heart to be broken. The glorious God of heaven became a baby. You cannot get more vulnerable than that. Open himself up to us. Why? So that you might know him. So that you might be in relationship with him. So that you might be made right with him. And here's the point. The great king comes downward to us. He comes to us. Why does this make any difference? Because the question is, when you think of God, do you primarily think it's about the things that you need to do to get up to God or about God coming to you? How you answer that question reveals how well you pay attention to the Christmas story. And how you answer that question drives all sorts of behaviors in your life. But what if you could see that the Christmas story tells you that the great theme of this world is that God comes to us. It would change the way you structure your spiritual life. Instead of needing to do more in order to earn God's acceptance, to hopefully at the end of your life you can say, well, the things I've done good outweigh the things that I've done bad. Friends, that is a hamster wheel of exhaustion. And it's the wrong hamster wheel. Instead he says, why don't you come and run with me? 
because I'm already in your life. I'm already here. I'm already closer to you than the air you breathe. And so walk with me. Open yourself up. Maybe over this next four weeks, it's a great training ground for you to think of how you're going to open yourself more spiritually to what God wants to do in your life. I received a phone call from a friend who's been joining in church online who doesn't live in this city. And this week, part of what we're doing together is simply praying to God to ask, what would you, what would you do in our lives? What would you, how would you direct me to follow you more? And then actually give some time of silence to sit with that and see if God starts pulling your heart in a particular direction. What does that look like in the ways that you engage with prayer or with reading the Bible or with developing deeper relationships and friendships? I mean, that's why we continue the prayer group at noon on Zoom on Wednesdays. That's why we continue our community group. These are all practices for us to grow in connection with God and with each other. But in a backwards way, you will actually pursue God with more passion, more perseverance, more tenacity when you primarily understand that he is the one coming to you. Now, how do we do this? We see that the king comes to you with grace that redefines your identity, redefines your circumstances, reframes your purpose. God comes to you with glory, but not glory that's power hungry from the top, but it's power to serve. He's also a king that commends a response. Mary gives us a picture of realistic response to God in your life. The first thing you see here is authentic doubt. Now, some of you think that because you have doubts, because you have questions, because maybe you think Jesus is good, but you don't understand this part of the Christian faith or this part of the Bible or this part of the Christian story, and you think that disqualifies you from coming close to God. I want you to see that God honors and delights in and entertains authentic doubt. See, here's Mary receiving huge news. Christianity makes a tremendous claim that the God of the universe became a little baby born in a manger, a human being whose death on a cross, an empty tomb of a resurrection, has actually done something in human history that has changed everything for all time. That he's actually making all things new. If you can hear all of that and just go, yeah, yeah, of course, right? You're probably not paying full attention to the claim. How does Mary respond in verse 29? She was much perplexed by his words, and she pondered what sort of greeting this may be. Do you see how honest and authentic scripture is with the people that it tells the story of? She was perplexed. She was troubled. She pondered these things. She deliberated on them. She was reckoning thoroughly. She was auditing. She was taking account. She was reasoning. She was thinking. She was perplexed, and she pondered. And she asks, how? How is this going to be possible? And how does God respond? Does he say, how dare you ask me another question? I've sent one of my favorite angels, Gabriel, to you. That should be enough. Sorry, I'll go find someone that can believe this stuff a little more easily. Not at all. God responds to Mary's authentic doubt with patience and by moving toward her. Mary says, how is this going to be? And God reassures her, God will dwell among us. He gives her more information. Go see your cousin because there's a great, uh, great miracle taking place in her life as well as she is with child, although she was said to be barren. And then he reminds her of the big picture. Nothing is impossible with God. What's going on here? 
we are listening in on an authentic conversation of what it looks like to wrestle with the God of grace. See, we see this later. This is at the beginning of Jesus' earthly life. But later on in Matthew chapter 28, when Jesus has been crucified publicly, three days later, some of them went to the tomb and found it to be empty. And then there was a message to all of his friends, the disciples, to go and to meet him on this particular hill. And it says when they got there, when they saw the risen Christ, when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some of them doubted. Don't you love that? After years of listening to Jesus, of seeing him heal people, some of them had been healed themselves, of hearing his teaching, of seeing his character. They see him in the flesh and they doubt. See, it's two steps forward and one step back with them and with you and with me. And he's always, but he's always moving toward us. So I want you to think in terms of there are healthy doubts and there's unhealthy doubts. It is not a bad issue to have doubts and questions in your life. In fact, as I said, it's probably evident you're paying attention. The question is, what do you do with those doubts? See, unhealthy doubt would be the type in which you say, you know, I doubt it. So I'm just going to stay home. I'm not doing any of the hard work. I'm not asking any of the tough questions. I'm just going to sit back and throw stones from afar. But there's another kind of doubt, another type of questions where you can say, I'm not so sure about that, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find someone to talk to about it. I'm going to call up the pastor of that church, Renew San Diego, and say, hey, I've got a list of 18 doubts that I'd like to talk through. And we'll start with question number one and walk together on a journey. Instead of saying, I can never believe the Bible, you actually get a Bible and start reading it. And now you have particular, specific questions to ask instead of just a general grumble. It's a doubt that pushes you forward. Let your doubts drive you closer to him. A picture of healthy doubt. If you're investigating Christianity, face your doubts with honesty and intentionality and use them to move toward him. And if you are a Christian, why don't we follow Mary's example? There will be parts of your life that don't make sense. And you will ask, where is God? And in those moments, you're invited not to run away, but to press in. And we do it together. She's a picture of authentic doubt. She's also a picture of absolute surrender. See, if the gospel story is true, and the son of Mary is the son of God, who became one of us so that we could become one with God. He is the king who has come and the king who will come again to make all things new. He moves down to us in order to lift us up to him. If that is true, then the most rational thing to do is to respond like Mary. Here I am, a servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Friends, as we do, in some ways small, in some ways big. Sometimes two steps forward, sometimes three steps backward. But as we encounter this God of grace, this God of glory, this God who commends a response, not only will your life be transformed, but the world will be changed. This is our great calling as we walk toward Christmas together. Let's pray. Gracious God, we pray now, as Mary was perplexed and pondered, much of our life is perplexing. And so we pray that you would break forward that you would break through our darkness with your light, you'd break through our confusion with your clarity, you would break through our hard hearts that are cynical and skeptical and melt them 
with the magma of your love. Convince not only our minds of your truth, but transform our hearts with your love. And send us out as you sent out Mary, not only to be blessed, but to be a blessing to others. We pray this for ourselves, for our community, for our families, our neighbors, our colleagues, for our city and our world. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.